marketing folks get it. Advertisers understand it. Customers consume it. We love that word new. You can take an old-time product. If you put new and improved, people will buy it. If you say under new management, you'll stop at restaurants you've driven by for weeks and months because you said, I don't like that place. But if you say under new management, you may stop in and try it. I, mar I marvel at pizza places. Now, now think with me a minute. How, how many ingredients, now I'm not talking about all the toppings, but basic ingredients. How many, how many ingredients you got on pizza? You got, you got your bread, you got your tomato sauce, and you got cheese. Have you read it, heard, listened to any of the pizza commercials? We got a thicker crust, that's still bread. We put more cheese, that's still cheese. We put extra meat, that's still meat. And you know what? We rush in because I want one of those biggie sizes, right? Well, you don't, but I do. But you know what I'm saying. And see, just the thoughts of something new, it's just a little bit different. Let, let me go try that. Well, you know what you were when you came to know Christ? You were newborn again. You became a new creation. Old things passed away. All things became new. And the truth is, the power of the gospel is that we, are now ha we now have a new nature because we had a new birth. And this morning, I want us to consider what John says in 1 John chapter 5. I want to backtrack to 1 John 5, 20. That's really where we were last week. But remember, chapters and verses came after, a long time after John wrote this letter. So as he's writing this letter, all this flows together. And I'm not going to go back to chapter 1, verse 1. But if you did, then this, the context makes the text have more meaning. So look with me. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 20. Excuse me, verse four, chapter 4, verse 20 through 5, 1 through 5. Look with me. Chapter 4, 1 John, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. Anybody have, have a question about the clarity of that? If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. This is a, this is a very difficult and profound verse. The person who does not love his brother whom he has seen, uh-oh. The person who loves his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. What does that mean? If we can't accept the tangible creation of God, we will never believe in the intangible, invisible God we have never seen with our eyes but only see evidence. You say, oh, I believe, but the Bible says it's not transformational. I, I can believe in things that I've never seen, but I don't necessarily embrace them. I believe men walked on the moon. I never have, but I, I'm one of those rare people that actually believes that. How do you know? Well, I saw it when I was 1969, senior in high school, watched them. You see, I never went there, but I believe it. You say, I just can't stand him. I can't stand her. And they're your brother or sister in Christ. God says, how can you love God you had never seen if you hate them that you work with and around all the time? What if God is just like them? You know what the Bible says? It's impossible. He ties that to all kinds of things in the earth. You remember in Luke's gospel? I'm not going to go there, but just quick illustration. Luke's gospel, chapter 16, he says, If you're not faithful in money matters, not faithful in worldly mammon, not faithful what God's giving you to serve him with it, he says, how will you possibly be faithful in understanding spiritual truth? <laughs> so if I disregard God's principles for money, which he talked about more than heaven then obviously I can't really say I want to understand deeper things when he says, you don't even take care of the basic things I gave you. 
So here he says, a very harsh and strong, this is the beloved disciple John. If you don't love your brother, he said, who, 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 whom you do see, how can you love God whom you've not seen? Verse 21 of chapter 4. We have this command from him, the one who loves God must love his brother. Everyone, chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, has been born of God. And everyone who loves the parent loves the child, or the one born of God, born of the Father. This is how we know, and John loves that word, the assurance word. This is how we know we love God. How how can we know, John? This is how we know we love God, because we love his children when we love God. And then if we obey his commands, we show we love God. For this is what love for God is, is to keep his command. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. Now, his commandments are not a burden. Because what has been born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that's conquered the world, even our faith. And who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The Bible talks about being born again. Nicodemus was perplexed when he went to see Jesus by night, not because he was necessarily afraid, although I think there was some risk. I think he wanted to finally say, I want you all to myself. I don't want to come to you in the marketplace. Too many people are around, and I won't get my, all my questions answered. It says he came to him by night. What must I do? You have to be born again. And Jesus didn't mince words. In other words, it is spiritual transformation. We receive a new nature from God when we're born again, just as a new baby is a brand new creation, never been before. Now, he has the DNA of his mom and dad, and he, certainly, he or she certainly has attributes like mom and dad or somebody in the family line, but that new creation that comes out of a womb has never, ever been before. When you are born again of God, spiritually, you have never been before. Though God knew you before the foundation of the world, though he loves you and though he transforms you, you received a brand new nature. So Nick Garland, the Christian, is totally different from Nick Garland before Christ. And the Bible says when we get this new nature, we are truly changed. And that new nature is not compliant with our old nature. That's why we have such such head-on battles. That's why our conscience sometimes just seems relentless. That's why we feel guilt because we know what we ought to do. The Bible says when you know to do right and don't do it, it's sin. And we know that. And that old nature is just always pulling at us. Paul said, I I don't understand myself. That that I want to do, I don't do. Things I shouldn't do, I do anyway. What's wrong with me? That old nature. And it pulls at us. And by the way, it's not deep in there. It's just right here at the surface, isn't it? It doesn't take much for that old, old nature to erupt and surface. And, and that's what he says here. He says, I want you to understand you've gotten a new nature and it's totally different. But you're at war every day to keep that old nature suppressed. And if you don't let God do it, you're going to live a whole lot more old nature style than new nature transformation. The Bible says this, when we're born again, we get a new nature. To be born again means we experience what birth experiences. Do you, you know this. When, when you, you, certainly you ladies, I had to read about this, but they give children, something, a newborn, something called an APGAR test. And they get it one minute after birth and then five minutes, and if there's some variance, they do it again at 10 minutes or 15 minutes to see is the baby healthy and strong. It's called APGAR, and APGAR is an acrostic. It stands for appearance. It stands for pulse. For does a baby grimace? In other words, the face show action and life. And it talks about activity and respiration. And, and the doctor measures those five things in an APGAR test. It, the appearance, the pulse, the grimace, the activity, and the respiration. 
And if the baby shows any variance after five minutes, they do it again in 10 or 15 to say, was he just slow or she's slow in responding to these things? Because now that baby's what? Miracle of God. That baby for nine months has lived in water. That, that baby who's an air breather lived in a womb. That baby who loves to eat later got all its nourishment through a cord that's attached to the mama. Now that baby suddenly is no longer tied to mama. And that baby no longer lives in the water. And that baby is no longer in the darkness of the womb. That baby is now in the light. And that's why so often once that, once that baby hits the light, they start screaming. Because just like a person who's in darkness and sees the light, that's painful. And when I've been used to little doses of food through my, from my mama through a cord, and now I'm supposed to go after taking that food in my mouth from either a mama's breast or from a bottle, I, I, have, to, I have to have that quickly. If I don't get it, I start screaming. You see, that new birth has a measurement. If we've really been born of God, we're no longer eating the pablum of the world. We're no longer satisfied walking and living in darkness. We're no longer aliens in a foreign, uh, a foreign atmosphere. We're walking in the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. I wondered what would be the Abgar test? What would be the Abgar test for a new believer? And I, I, I just picture this. We saw people this morning there and here when you're singing, you do this. Why? You're lifting up holy hands into some picture. It's not just praise, though it is praise. It's not adoration, though that's how we adore. But it's like a child wanting to get closer to the daddy. When your grandchild or your child does this, what are they saying? Hold me. Draw me near, pick me up, put me by you. I, I want to be with you. And when we raise holy hands to the Lord, where we say, I want to get as close to you as I can because I adore you. So, so what should be the test? Well, what's the test of somebody A.D. after the dominion of Christ in life? B.C. we know. Before Christ we know. What, what are some of the things? And I, I, I didn't call mine Abgar. I called it Reach. Because I think if you really come to know Christ, the first thing you want to do is just reach up and say, thank you, Jesus. So here, here's, this isn't medical, it's preacher. But here, here's, I think you'd agree with these five. Reach is the acrostic for a newborn. First of all, the deep release of guilt. So, some of you still battle guilt. I told you some years ago, I was reading a study about churches, 85% at that point, this has been 15, 20 years ago, 85% that said everybody in a church is dealing with unresolved guilt. Is that you? Listen, if he didn't take the guilt away, you didn't give him the sin. Because sin and guilt are partners, and when the sin goes, the guilt goes, and that's why you have a release. So the first thing that I think is in that Ibgar test for a new believer, that reach test, is you release guilt. Secondly, great enthusiasm. Have you ever seen a Christian, a person that truly came to know Christ, and the first thing they <sighs> wow, boy, the joy, the enthusiasm. And then thirdly is the appearance. The A of reach is appearance. We, 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 we release the guilt and we have enthusiasm, but then the appearance of the countenance. Have you ever, not have you, let's do it. Too. When was the last time you prayed one-on-one with somebody and they came to know Christ? If you have to think about it, it's been too long. Once you prayed with somebody and they come to know Christ and they look up from their prayer, their countenance looks different. Their appearance is different. Their face radiates the light of God. The fourth thing in reach is confidence. I always, when we did EE, and I still do it because I like that form of sharing the gospel, 
And he, he asked a person, if you were to die, do you know for certain you'd go to heaven? And then the second one is, if it was today, what would you say to God? Just recently, I was doing a man who's 70 plus years old. And I asked him that question up front, do you know you go to heaven? He said, no, sir. And I said, well, then I guess you wouldn't know what to say to God. He said, I don't have a clue. I shared Christ with him. And after we prayed together and his family around him wept over him and I was weeping as a holy moment. <laughs> I asked him the question, yes, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? He said, yes, sir. I thought, goodness, what difference 30 minutes makes. And if you were to die and stand before God, and he said, why, what would you say? He said, because I just trusted Jesus. He looked different. The weight of sin was gone. The enthusiasm of his appearance was there. Now he has confidence in his confession. And the age of reach would just be happiness. If you're a Christian never knows happiness and joy, maybe you ought to come to the cross because maybe you're not. I, I'm not trying to talk you out of something, but I'm saying when, when you lose the joy of the Lord, you've lost at a great cost. And so I think what God gives us is a new nature. Our old nature had doubts. Our new nature exercises faith. Our old nature lives in defeat, but our new nature lives in conquest. Our old nature followed that which is uh, sinful. Our new nature is righteous. The old nature lived in turmoil continually, but our new nature knows peace. And by the way, just like with a baby, when you're brand new in Christ, then you manifest the appearance of your heavenly father. I love the fact that in the book of Acts, it says of Peter and John when they, when they heal the man at the gate of the temple, then stood on trial because they weren't theologians and questioning who has this power to do this. They could not, they recognized they don't have a seminary degree. They don't, they don't even have an undergraduate. They're fishermen, common men. It says in the book of Acts, they noted they were ignorant, unlearned. It mean no degrees. It doesn't mean they were pitiful. It just means they had no degree. They had no standing with the Sanhedrin who were the PhDs. These are ignorant, unlearned men, but they took note they'd been with Jesus. And so here it says, when we've been with the Lord, it's different. It is with God. When we're flesh-driven, we're not like Him. But when we're open, if we live in open, flagrant sin, we don't show Him honor. But if, we're, if we are dishonorable and dishonest, we even cause others to wonder. So that's what a Christian is. It's sad today that so many people are, not only, they don't have to look far to find fault, do they? Because so often in the Christian circles, it's people who profess what they don't possess, or they may profess it, but they didn't live it. And now it creates not just a problem for their family, but for everybody that sees them. So, so that's, that's what I thought. Y'all are not what you say you are. Look, look at you. You understand every time we sin, we, it's not personal. We affect everybody in our circle. Why? Because we're no longer that radiant person I talked about. We don't have that enthusiasm for the Lord. There's something else in our life that we sure are drawn to a whole lot more than our time alone with the Almighty. And people around us can tell that very quickly. They sense in us, you don't have the same intensity. You don't have the same faith. Your, your language has gotten more criti critical and cynical. And what, what, what's happened to you? And so the Bible says if we have this new nature then we live like him, and if we don't live like him, we bring a dishonor to him. I, you don't have to look at these. They're right there in your Bible. But just let me give you four verses right out of 1 John. We've made this track now already, but let me remind you, four times he talked about the difference between a person who walks in the light and one who lives without Christ in the darkness. 1 John 1, 5 says, This is a message we heard from him, declare to you, 
in him is light and absolutely no darkness. So if we're walking in darkness, we don't have to say, I'm walking with Jesus because we're not. Secondly, he says in 1 John 1, 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, walk in darkness, we're lying. 1 John 2, 9, the one who says he's in the light but hates his brothers in the darkness until now. 1 John 2, 11, he who hates his brothers in the darkness, walks in the darkness, doesn't know where he's going because darkness has blinded his eyes. So the Bible says there's this clear demarcation. There's the time that we had an old life and a time we have a new life. The Bible says old things are passed away. There, there's, a, there's a gravestone out there somewhere with my name and your name on it. Right here on this date, this place, this time, Nick Garland died to who Nick Garland was. And on this date, Nick Garland was made alive. And now there's a narrow path, not, not a broad way because not many are going to walk in it. But there's a path where the righteous have walked for generations. And, and, and so there's a marker that says, this is where that was killed and dead and buried. And this is when I began to walk toward him. That's the picture of baptism. When somebody's baptized, we say, this is the picture when you bury. There's the grave marker. You bury that old way of life. And today, you said, I want to take up a new life. And I'm going to walk the straight and narrow path of righteousness right toward Jesus Christ. And when they come out of the pool, they said, there's my focus. And so the Bible reminds us that when we walk with him, we have this new nature. Now, somebody's going to ask you as a world. Somebody's going to ask when the scripture says you need to love your brother. You're going to say, well, who is my brother? Well, welcome back to the era of Genesis. When Cain had killed Abel and God asked Cain, where's your brother? What did he say? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to keep up track with where he is? We have people say, well, now, preacher, who am I supposed to love in the in the Sermon of the Good Samaritan, you remember the two preachers, one a priest and one a, a servant in the synagogue, walked right by, walked right by a man bleeding, and a, a Muslim terrorist, that'd be the equivalent, a Muslim terrorist came by and saw a man bleeding and cared enough to say, I hate for you to bleed. Come on, put it on my donkey and I'll go pay your way to get fixed. And the people said, Muslim terrorist? You don't think that cut to the quick? When he's speaking to the rulers of the temple. And you're going to hold him up as the example. Does that kind of chap you to hear it? So what's he saying? He says, who's your brother? Somebody's going to say, who's your brother? Well, look with me. First John 5, 1. He makes it real clear. First John 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ or Messiah has been born of God. So who's my brother? Everybody born of God and everyone who loves the parent, the father, is going to love his children. Who's my brother? Everybody that knows Jesus. But, 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 but they're not Baptists. Everybody knows Jesus. But, 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 but they, have, they, they, they don't do things the way we do. Everybody that loves Jesus is your brother. Isn't it amazing when we go overseas or go somewhere that is not in our culture there's an immediate bond. I've been placed in the world. There's no way I could communicate, and it was so frustrating. And they would try to talk to me, and I'm, I don't know what you're saying. And I try to talk to them, and they don't know what I'm saying. But I'm telling you, there's a joy and a bond. And when you leave and have just talked to an interpreter through a few sentences, there are embraces and hugs because you say we're family. Who, who is it that's a child of God? Who is it, my brother, the one who's been born again? 
Now you say, well, so all we got to do is love Christians, that we just love each other, that's enough. No. You see, once we love others, love is, love is a virus. I mean, you can catch it easily. And not only that, you ought to be a carrier. You know, but there's been around going around, and my, my, my son and his wife and their children have all had a bad virus. And hey, I, you know, when it's a virus, <laughs> easy for me to say, when it's a virus, they can't really give you anything for it. They just say, go home and ride it out. If you're in a room with small children and you're going to ride it out for 10 days, there's a real good chance you're going to get it. You see, viruses are highly communicable. The Bible says love should be too. It's a good virus. It's not about a good one. And so when you're around a family and people come in and they sense a family and they sense the joy of the family, what Kevin said at the outset, when there's a sense of purpose and meaning and togetherness and joy and glad to be here, that's contagious. And so suddenly, once I love somebody in the family, I can love somebody that my family knows. And I can love somebody that's my neighbor of my family. And I love somebody that works beside my daddy's business. And I love the person that's with my family in sports. And I love this person who's always with my family because they like to do things together. And now that flood love expands. But here's the problem. If I don't grow up in a loving environment... It's very hard for me to give love away because I've never really experienced it. There's some of you in this room that have been hurt so deeply in life. You have a very hard time when you hear the word love because you were married to or are married to somebody who uses love as an excuse to be a, a, an ugly person. You will do this. That, that's not the love that is teached. Is taught in Scripture. God teaches us that that's a that's a demand. That, that's a legalistic. I'll make you do what I say. No, the, the love of Jesus was like this. Come unto me. You weary? Who's not? You feel the pressures on you? Who doesn't? Come unto me. You you are beat up and weary. Does that sound like somebody? You're going to do what I say? No. So when I learn to fall in love with him, I want to do what he says. Why? Because I can trust him. Some of you ladies and men in this room would say, there's not enough money in the world for me to do what I've done for my family. Mamas, I'm going to pick on you a minute. How much is it worth for you to raise a child from birth to 18? What would that be worth per hour? We don't have that much money. What's it worth when you don't feel good and your child is going to wake you up at two, sure as the world, to get fed and you don't feel good yourself? Either because you're bone tired or you're just you on the edge of being sick and, and you got to get up at two to feed that baby. And then that baby is upset and boy cries and cries and cries and cries and everything in you is hurting but your love for the child is greater than your love for your own demands. You met God. You ever cried and cried and whined and whined and carried on and thrown a fit and kicked your, kicked your feet and stomped your, stomped your feet and kicked your legs and, and, and kept flailing your arms and bowing your back? Did he say, get out of my sight? No. The love of God is continual and constant. And so when you grow up around the love of God and a family that loves God, knowing the word of God, which promotes the love of God, and you learn to love your siblings and you learn to honor and respect your parents out of love and you love your friends and you love your neighbors, then guess what? Love is contagious. And that's what he said. He said, who's my brother? The one that's been born of God. 
And there's another side of love, and we've lost that in this generation. And it's sad because we, we feel, some people, not we, some people feel that if you correct me or you tell me I'm doing wrong, you're, you're hateful. Well, boy, my daddy must have hated me a lot. I had reserved seating in his office. The principals of my school hated me. I do think they did. But, but you know, I, I, why? Because they were forever correcting me. You know what? I had to be 21 to realize they really loved me enough to say, I'm not going to let you get away with that. You've got some in your family that have abandoned you. Not because you didn't love them, but because you loved them so much you wouldn't let them go the way they were going. And it broke your heart and you kept trying to bring them back and trying to carry them back. And your love, I pray, your love didn't quit on them. Their love to respond to you misinterpreted your motive because their hearts were dark and they did not want to be corrected. Love's not always fun, is it? And Sometimes you watch those you love the most walk away and go a distance you didn't want them to go. And you prayed an awful lot God would correct them and bring them back. And when he did, there were hot tears on your cheeks and hot tears on the cheeks of the wayward saying, forgive me. Scripture teaches us that when we correct, when we really love somebody, we use Scripture. And Scripture, it says in Second Timothy, is given for instruction, for rebuke. Pardon me? So, so sometimes when I teach the Word of God, it can be real stern. Yeah, because I'm basically wayward. And it doesn't go well with my old nature to hear, Thus saith the Lord, here's the way, walk ye in it. Scripture is given for instruction and rebuke and correcting and training in righteousness. And the Bible teaches us that's who we are and who we're to be. Well, let's move quickly verses 2 and 3. I've got to move. I'm going to keep us long. Here it goes. Look at verse 2 and 3. This is how we know. Now remember he said everyone who believes Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the parents is going to love the child. This is how we can know that we love God's children. When you say, well, I, I think I do, but how, how will I know for sure? He said, when you love God and you obey his commands, you're going to love his children. Why? Now, now that's not profound. Think about it. If I love God and I'm doing what God wants me to do, how, how hard is it to love the person who says, well, I love God too. And I'm trying to do what he wants me to do. Well, well, I love God. Don't leave me out. I love him. And I'm trying to do what he wants me to do. And so I ask, well, I love him. And, and I want to do what he wants me to do. And before long, you have a whole church full said, that's my testimony. How hard is it to love each other who are going in the same direction with the same Lord, the same baptism, the same word of God, and the same desire to end up at the same destination, which is called heaven. The koinonia, the faith, grows because we each love God and we want to do what he tells us. John says, here's the commands of God. He says in verse 3, look at this. The Bible says, verse 2, we love God and obey his commands. This is what love for God is, to keep his commands. Now, his commands are not a burden. Isn't that amazing? If I love somebody, what they ask me to do is a joy. I don't know what I'd do in life without Janine. She doesn't ask for pay. She doesn't tell me I've asked one time too many. When I ask, she says, I, I can do that. I'll do that. I'm not doing that. You asked me 17 times yesterday to do something. I'm not doing anything for you today. Wouldn't that be awful? You see, when we really love the same person, God, 
and we're together in our love for him, then we love each other better because we're both trying to get closer to the one we love. And then when we ask something the other, she's not only my wife, she's my sister. And because I love God, I'm commanded to love. And I don't want to displease him. So I'm going to love her as she loves me because I really want to experience the love of God, which has commanded me, love one another. You see, when we love God, we grow in our love for Him, and we see how good God is, and we experience His blessing, and we're in harmony one with the other. And may I just add this one other thing? Love is not emotional. Some of you are my age in here. You remember the film Love Story 1969? No, you don't. I can tell. Listen, go, 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 don't, don't watch it, but just go back and just, it doesn't take long enough to hear this line. Love means what? Never you did see it. Y'all acted like you're too young. You remember it. Love means what? How many agree with that? That's called hogwash. How long were you married before you had to say, I'm so sorry? Now, I won't tell it to y'all. Most of y'all been married a long time. Next hour, I'm going to tell those young couples, there are three words that'll get you through 50 years. Yes, dear. I'm sorry. It was my fault. And all God's being said, Amen. there we have it. Now, now see, that kind of love that says, I'm sorry, I want to do better, and it was my fault, that'll buy you a lot of distance. What does it take to get right with God? I'm so sorry. I don't want to do that again. It was my fault. I listened to the wrong voice to go the wrong direction to do the wrong thing, and I grieved you. True or False. Commands of God, he says, are not burdensome. Jews had 613 categories of commands, 613 laws, and under those normally subpoints, there were 1,300 things you couldn't do on the Sabbath. Why does Jesus say, if you trust God and follow, if you follow me and trust your Father, His commands are not burdensome? Because he doesn't put things on you that men say. He puts things on you that God said. He said Pharisees. Jesus said in Matthew 23 type heavy loads and they're hard to carry. And they put them on your shoulders. Gods are for our good. Well, very quickly, look at verses 4 and 5. We've got to quit. Here it is. Whatever's been born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that's conquered the world. Even our fate. Now, now look at this. He, he says we're talking now about conquest. So, so look at three things. It says in verse 4, whatever's been born of God, first word for conquer, whatever's born of God conquers the world. Then he says the victory that overcomes or conquers the world is not on whoever loves God, but our faith in him. In verse 5, who's the one who really has conquered the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So we're doctrinally right. We trust in Jesus and we've been born of God to believe in Jesus. Now, what does that mean? We cannot will to be like Christ. We cannot say today, I'm going to be a Christian. Today, I'm going to do better. That doesn't work because truthfully, our flesh is weak. And secondly, when we say that, Satan's listening. He says, watch this. And we get discouraged because we think, well, if I was really a Christian, I think I ought to be able to do better. Listen, unless God resides in you, you will always be just like you are. 
That that which transforms us is not just his redemption. And it's not that one time we overcame temptation. You're tempted over and over and over and over to pull you away. And normally we think of these heinous sins. And we want to say, well, I don't think I'm a bad sinner. I don't think I'm a a bad, bad, bad sinner. But the truth is, think of the sins that we have. Pride and arrogance and lust and anger and, and resentment and disobedience and rebellion. And when we walk there, we're already away from God because we're looking to me. We're looking to ourselves. The Bible says you want to be strong with God, you got to change your focus. Your lens is foggy. When we look through the wrong lens, some of you have had cataract surgery, and you say, I, it got where everything was just, I just couldn't see, I couldn't read, and you had to clear the eye so the vision was once again restored. When we walk with the world, our vision becomes cataract-laden, and we start looking around. You can always tell somebody that loves the world. You know what their question is when you bring up a moral issue? You know this. Anybody who loves the world, here's question number one. Anybody who loves the world most, here's question number one. Well, what's wrong with that? What have I just said? How close can I walk over here to what I used to be and who all my friends are and still say I'm a Christian? Can I ask you yesterday when football teams were playing, did you say, I'm going to pick on you, just meant OSU and OU people. I'm not either one of those. By the way, did OU win? (laughs) Never mind. But but, 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 but yesterday when when OU was playing Army, did you who used to be in the Army say, how close can I still be true to my military roots and cheer for that other team? Is that what you said? Did you wear Army green yesterday if you're an OU fan? I don't see any hands. Why not? You, you, you used to be army. You, you, you disloyal? You, you, you confused about your allegiance? You, you fickled? You turned on them? You say, no. I was in the army because I was drafted. I love OU because I want to. How close you walk to the world? How close you walk to God. Bible says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where your allegiance is, that's where your heart is. And here's what he said. Before Christ, we were dead in him. We were dead without him. Now we're alive in him forevermore. And Acts 17 says, in him we live and we move and we have our being. There's a preacher named Ray Stedman that I've loved since the days of seminary. And again, I, I, I'm just, I want to read one of the passages. Last week I read a passage, and I want to today from this, from preacher, because sometimes there are those men that just say it so clearly. If I simply take the gist and say it, it doesn't come across with the same power. I want you to hear what I read this week, and boy, it just lodged in my mind. Because in this battle against that which is evil, it's not a one-time skirmish. We read about great wars, and they're horrible. Because not only do men die this day, but they're going to put on those that survive, put on the guns, and go again tomorrow. And then they may make this skirmish or this battle, and they're going to fight another one until they either get killed, seriously wounded, or get to come home. So if you think you're one and done, I prayed the prayer when I was eight, I'm in, then you don't get it. Because this war we're in is a line drawn through all eternity. 
And the battle is to redeem those who need to know Christ. And the only plan God has is for us to be soldiers in the fight, to stand against the enemy and reach out to those who are being undertaken and overtaken. L- listen to this. Ray Stedman. When you consider what's involved in this term of loving the world, what is it that we're up against It's not hard to see what John means. Think of the moral pressures that you face in the world every day. The outlook, the standards of godless society that are surrounding us on every side, pressing in upon us, constantly intruding upon our uh, consciousness with tremendous pressure to make us conform to these attitudes and standards of life. Think of the temptation to cheat and lie and get ahead at all costs, to be dishonest and overreach. You men, that, you men know that it takes power to be honest in business, and those of you women that are in business know the same. To be surrounded by the low moral standards which exist in many businesses today, to be under constant temptation to take advantage of people, to maneuver, manipulate, ride roughshod over other people's rights, and yet to do right, that takes a lot of power to live in this kind of society. You who live in that know the power that's required. These are the pressures that come upon us from the world The pressure to sexual looseness, which is especially evident among the young and the unmarried. The pressure to feed the fire, to satisfy the urge, to give in, give up, go the whole way, though it may be wrong and deadly. The pressures around us are tremendous, seemingly overpowering at times. There is the pressure to harbor wrong ideas, to react against others the way the world does. To strike back, fight back, give us good, give us, uh, give as good as you get to be resentful and jealous, to be ambitious and cruel. There are pressures to follow some of the attractive heresies that are about us in these theologically loose days, which offer popularity and social acceptance only. Do you not feel all this, the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all this is the world? Now now listen to this paragraph. How in the world are you going to overcome it? How can you manifest the life of Jesus Christ in the midst of that kind of pressure? How do you go on moment by moment, day after day, year after year, living a life that's absolutely contrary to all of that? Based on totally different standards, totally different objectives, totally different evaluations. How do you do it? And we do it not only for five years or ten years, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years against that kind of moral pressure. How in the world do you do that? How do you overcome this world? How how do you keep steady? How how do you keep unmoved in the midst of all this? Not only to keep unmoved, but actually to move out and win others to your side. John says we do it by faith. (laughs) John says we do it by faith. That's all. By faith that you once exercised. Not the faith that you once exercised years ago when you first became a Christian. But the faith in the life of Jesus present in you now. Faith in him at work in you now, moment by moment, in the midst of the pressure, countering the world and the pressure of one's own life with the power and the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says we can overcome the world when we're born of God. We overcome the world when we believe that Jesus, the Son of God, our right doctrine He's not a good teacher. He's not a, he's not a nice man. He's not just going to love us anyway. He's the son of God. That's doctrinally right. 
And when we've believed in Jesus, we've had right faith. We've focused on the right direction. No other name under heaven whereby we can be saved. So, so now we've got a right focus. And if he's the son of God and we say that and we believe that unequivocally, that then we've got a right doctrine. And the Bible says when you have the right doctrine, right faith, and you believed in him and been born again, you have the right spirit. For now the Holy Spirit of God is in you to animate you, to allow you to be all that he wants you to be in a crooked generation, a per- perverse world. How can we remain strong? We are not of this world, though we're in it. We are newborn again by the power of God. We do not have the world in our heart. We have Jesus in our heart. We don't live by the code of the world. We live according to the principles of the word of God. We are feet, our feet are not in the slush swamps of, of, of a society. We're walking on a hard, solid path of righteousness. Our, we're not marred up in the mud. We're on a solid rock. We don't belong to this world. We're about to go out. We were taken out in salvation. We are sent out in faith, and we're about to be raptured out in the glory of God. We're not belonging here. And so the power, the power of the Almighty within us makes us a newborn people. And when people say, well, you don't act like us, you say, thank you. You don't talk like us. Thank you. Some of you in this room would say, Brother Nick, I don't disagree with any of that. But goodness, I've been beat up. It sure is painful for me right now. Pastor, I know the Lord, but it seems like lately I've seen a lot more losses than gains and a lot more times that I failed and I succeeded. Can I welcome you to the company of the Apostle Paul? Anybody here feel just beat up, cast off, thrown aside, badgered, bruised? Yeah. You can read this later. It comes with 2 Corinthians 4. You know it. Don't turn there. Just focus for a minute. All, all I'm about to read is from 2 Corinthians 4. Paul had been through so much. And yet he said, for me to live is Christ. Here's what he would write. This treasure, what is the treasure? The joy of knowing that Jesus is the Son of God and we had our eyes open to his veracity and his character and his person that we could become his. We have this treasure, the gospel of Jesus, the love of Jesus in clay jars. So that this extraordinary power that we live with, what what is that power? The power to be more than a conqueror. That's what John said. We have this extraordinary power from God, and it's not from us. Now, Now, this may be your testimony this morning. We're pressured in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we've sure not been abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Have I hit your cord yet? We always carry around the death of Jesus in our body that the life of Jesus can be revealed in us. For for we who live are always given over to death because of Jesus so that Jesus' life may be revealed in our mortal flesh. We don't give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal way to glory. We do not focus on what's seen, but what's unseen, but what's temporary. And we don't focus on what's temporary, but what's eternal. You're born of God. You, you love 
your spiritual family. You find your life is in an overcoming mode. Can you follow the five-step reach test of a believer? Most of you say yes. But for those who can't, that new birth is available right this minute. Because to as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the children of God. If you're not in the family, my father gave me permission to say, come on in. He's waiting for you. He'll change you if you'll let him. Stand with me, would you? Father, thank you this morning for the privilege of walking on mighty holy ground. The word of God really is true, and it doesn't matter what the generation, your word doesn't vary, and what we need is always there. Today, it may be in this room, there are those that say, Brother Nick, I, I do need Christ. I'm not a Christian. Will you come? There'll be folks here at the front to receive you. There's a lady. If you're a lady and prefer to talk to a lady, we'll have a lady here in the altar. If you're a person that says, I, I want to talk to a pastor, there'll be pastors here. You can come right now. You say, I'm, I'm ready. I, I don't need a song. I'm ready to come right now. Well, come. It may be to say, I, I need Jesus, or maybe I want to be a part of this church, or maybe it's some other confession. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you. Well, those pastors will do that. Father, you know every heart. They don't need a prompter except the Holy Spirit. You're the best prompter there is. What we need is just time to be sure. To be sure our walk with Christ is solid, that our birth certificate states a time and place where we came to know Jesus. And there really is in our life a B.C. before Christ and an A.D. in the year of our Lord now walking with Him. Our Father, I pray today you'll do mighty things among us. Draw people to yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing together a great old hymn. I'm going to ask you to sing it every voice.